In today's podcast episode, we are focusing on what it's like to teach maths in a special school. I'm Beth Goodliffe, a communications manager with the NCTM, and today I'm talking to Sophie Cocker, who is a secondary maths lead at Ravenshall School. Ravenshall is a special school in Dewsbury in West Yorkshire. There are around 200 pupils here, the majority of whom have complex learning difficulties. Sophie started working at the school about six years ago, and she became maths lead after a year. Sophie is a maths graduate and has a maths PGCE, which is quite unusual for people teaching in a special school. She's really, really passionate about pupils having a positive experience of learning maths and developing the functional math skills that will equip them for adulthood. So we're going to talk to Sophie today about her experiences of teaching maths at Ravenshall and a little bit about some of the work she's done with her local maths hub, West Yorkshire. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about the pupils here at Ravenshall, some of the different needs that they have and how that might um, indeed pose challenges and opportunities for teachers teaching here? Yep, so we cater for pupils from 4 to 19 um, with what we describe as complex needs. Um, So two or more coexisting conditions or have sort of um, multiple areas of of needs. So whether that's... um, with their learning, um, with their um, communication, maybe some physical needs as well, um, and social-emotional needs sometimes too. Um, So if we talk about, say, uh, a year six class here or a year ten class here, Mm -hmm. the age of the pupils isn't necessarily related to what they can do in terms of maths under the subjects, would that be right? Typically, um, if we wanted to compare to uh, maybe a mainstream classroom, or to the national curriculum maybe, we work within certainly no more than um, lower key stage two if we want to make those comparisons. We try to avoid making those comparisons. Um, We look at pupils' individual starting points. Um, Quite often they're very, very varied within a classroom. Um, So you may be working with, uh, just to think of an example, if we're looking at number and place value, we may be working within one classroom, some pupils... um, learning emerging counting skills, thinking about um, the counting principles, um, up to a pupil who's maybe beginning to understand place value value to a thousand maybe. So that sort of variety within a classroom. Not every classroom teaches in a formal setting. Um, Some classrooms are uh, sort of what we describe as semi-formal learning environments. And we do lots of functional learning as well. So that might be looking for what we might describe as mathematical moments throughout the day for some pupils, exploiting those moments and different sort of things like um, telling the time at particular moments or if we're um, doing cooking skills, looking at how we can apply some measuring skills to those lessons. So we try to make everything as functional as possible for our learners. So it's about incorporating maths into the curriculum uh, opportunities that are relevant to the to the pupils. In terms of your maths timetable, do you teach some dedicated maths lessons? And and what might, obviously we we can't particularly use the word typical in relation to either the pupils here or or what a maths lesson might look like, but when you're teaching maths to secondary students, what kinds of experiences would they undergo in a maths lesson? Um, Okay, at the moment, I'm just thinking, we have been learning about, our theme at the moment is to do with the um, kings and queens. So to try and make that really functional for our learners, particularly maybe in key stage three, key stage four learners within a classroom, we've been thinking about um, the 
products that the Queen might like to buy. So look at, you know, the products with the royal warrants on. And we've used that as our sort of motivation for functional learning to do with shopping. Um, we focused on, on buying tea for some reason. I don't know why, but we have. <laughs> so we've used um, tea bags as a functional resource for counting um, because we thought about how many tea bags a particular person might need to use. We've looked at um, packs of 10, packs of 100, if we want to extend that learning up to um, those, those um, learners who are ready to do that. We have looked at things like weighing um, tea leaves out um, to make it functional in terms of sort of, I don't know, going to a tea shop and buying things like that. What, I know as well, one of the things that you did recently, uh, in order to convey the, the magnitude of numbers, the cardinality of numbers, uh, yeah. is you looked at, uh, was it a hundred or a thousand? Yes, um, we looked at when, was it April last year, um, when the, is it Captain Tom's birthday or anniversary of his death, I'm not sure, but we as a school sort of embraced that 100 challenge and we did some cross-curricular things loads of different activities including everyone in the school so we had them um, sort of drop down style days where we aimed to make 100 scones in a day um we did 100 hot drinks in a day we sort of put it across to the staff to start with as imagine the number I don't know, a billion, a trillion. That's a really hard number sometimes for us to comprehend mm-hmm. and visualise. For our pupils, or some of our pupils, many of our pupils actually, trying to comprehend the number 100 is just like that. They just think, wow, this number is so big. Um, we had examples, so we asked the pupils things like, how many how many students come to this school? How many staff? And they'd give us things like, like, like they'd say 10. And i say, oh, a bit more. And they say, oh... 16 and and they thought that was so much more than the number 10 um so it it sort of opened up this possibility to really try and embed how big this number 100 really was um for some of our pupils that who were working on maybe numbers to 10 actually we could we could break that down and and help them um when we if we were counting out 100 objects or if we were making 100 coffees we'd have a group doing right we need to get to 10 and then another group going right we need to get to another group of 10 so embedding that that idea of 10 groups of 10 there was there was lots going on to sort of help every pupil no matter what point in their learning journey that where they were how we could help them progress in the maths by doing this whole school project of the number 100 it was it was so good honestly it was, it was brilliant and we raised lots of money as well <laughs> and so that that kind of example of the way in which maths is is part of the curriculum in a school like Ravenshall. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's very different from some of the things you learned about maths teaching on your PGCE. How did you go from you studied a maths degree then to maths PGCE? Could you tell us a bit about your experience of becoming a maths teacher in a special school, and and if that's always been a passion for you, or if that's something that you kind of discovered when you got into maths teaching? Yeah, I've always been loved maths always loved maths um so when i finished uni ended up volunteering in a special school never really wanted to be a teacher but got involved in volunteering in a special school and absolutely loved it ended up working there as a support assistant for a while and um sort of was was persuaded convinced came to the realization that maybe teaching was for me but just in a in a different way to the way i'd i'd, I'd pictured it in my mind ended up doing a maths PGC in a secondary mainstream, 
which I found challenging um, because it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to end up. I knew I wanted to end up in a special school. In my first year, in my NQT year, I came to work here at Ravenshall and sort of because I'd had that, I'd never had that feeling of maybe not, not enjoying maths or um, not finding it really difficult, I sort of assumed that my passion would be enough to convince other people that it it would be brilliant and to provide really good learning experiences for the kids and I soon realised that I was I was sort of a little bit naive really actually I didn't have most of the subject knowledge that I needed and I, I realised very quickly I needed to learn a lot and I was very fortunate probably that around the time that I qualified was when the maths hubs were sort of set up and people were starting to learn about them and they were um, promoting themselves really well in, on my university course so I knew about them through that we actually went to um, Trinity where the West Yorkshire Maths Hub is as part of my university course and did a little bit of work there I'm from Halifax as well so I sort of knew about it I actually went to school really close to Trinity so I think because of my sort of passion for the subject anyway because of the fact I'd done this maths PGC because I was I sort of new people in the area I think that really helped me because I had those connections to the master programme straight away and the day came up and it was like a free taster day and I ended up going to one of those with my primary colleague who was leading maths in primary and it massively opened my eyes to how we could provide really brilliant maths teaching in a special school um, using a lot of the strategies that were being um, sort of promoted by the the maths hubs and the NCTM around that time and, and still are now and the, I think the concept of teaching from Astray have just been started to be talked about a lot more and we went to that day and really came away both of us thinking we need to do something like this at Ravenshall but we were both very acutely aware that it could not just be an off-the-shelf, let's take what's happening in those schools and bring it into Ravenshall and it'll just magically all work. We knew, um, and I'm sure lots of lots of colleagues in maybe specialist settings have a similar experience to me where we'd, we'd been on training before that we thought had such fantastic elements and would be really good if they were adapted for our pupils, but wouldn't w- would require a lot of work to adapt. And we felt the same about... Um, some of the teaching for mastery ideas as well we thought wow this is brilliant um, some of the things around um, concrete pictorial abstract approach um, really looking at small steps learning we thought all that stuff would be fantastic but we just didn't know how to adapt it at that point and, and but we knew that's the direction we wanted to head in so that and that's that's often a, a kind of challenge that teachers in I think special and mainstream settings find is is maybe the perceptions of teaching for mastery are, well, how is this going to work in, in this kind of setting mm-hmm. and, and with some of these students? Um, what are some of the elements that you are able to apply from teaching for mastery that you think are successful with, with some of the students that you have here? We, and actually, a lot of this work is stuff that we did in the work group last year and will hopefully continue to do this year. We really had to pick apart the definitions and think about, um, what they meant for our pupils. I think we all know in special schools, every every student is unique. Every classroom is, is I was having, only having this conversation this morning, actually, that we go two two doors down in this school and the, the style of learning, the, 
the way of teaching maths is is completely different to the way maybe I would do it in a typical lesson. Um, we're all experts in our own classrooms, but we're certainly not experts in every classroom. And, and we need to understand that and work together and appreciate that we all have different elements that we're going to bring and maybe see the five big ideas for mastery in different ways, depending on the pupils that we're working with. Um, I think certainly bringing in and understanding the idea of the concrete pictorial abstract approach that's been one that right from the start we thought this is just brilliant teaching and this is something we should should be doing regardless of um the needs of our pupils um what what kinds of manipulatives might you typically have in a lesson then when we're talking about those concrete representations what kind of things if somebody walked into any of the classrooms in Ravenshall what, what would be some of the things they would see so you you would see the sort of Ones that you maybe would see in any classroom. We we use a lot of we've we've got Numicorn, base ten, um, place value counters, those types of things. But even some of those resources tend to be quite abstract for our pupils, mm. even though they they can hold them and feel them and move them, but they're still abstract things, abstract objects. So what we tend to do is use those alongside a a real life, um, functional manipulative so like the tea bags example i talked mm-hmm. about earlier and um, something like that money is a really good um even though it's 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 maybe i don't know you wouldn't necessarily think of it as a a concrete resource comparatively to base 10 or place value counters actually for us getting using that sort of the tens and ones structure of money really really helps our pupils and it's something that a lot of our pupils actually are very familiar with it. it's a resource that they tend to come across in their lives and and it's really important that they continue to to use that and learn about that um i mean we've done some really obscure things we the, I, I talk about this quite a lot but i discovered that wall plugs you know like you used to knock into yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they you can get they come in groups of 10 fastened together so for one particular pupil who sort of loved DIY for example like that was such a good motivator for that pupil to understand the concept of tens and ones by seeing these wall plugs in groups of ten and then the one separate yeah honestly it was amazing and we so we because we try and think thematically like that we we had this whole sort of half terms worth of lessons around where we were using the wall plugs as a manipulative and it sounds a bit silly now but honestly it was really good it's about going with what you've got <laughs> it was really yeah. good yeah um, beach, we use beach strings a lot as well um but yeah we try and think outside the box a little bit and make the resource that we're using functional as well as alongside those more sort of obvious ones i guess so obviously as a, a pgc uh, maths uh, person you will be familiar with manipulatives, with a lot of approaches to math teaching, but I, I assume now you're working with and, and probably supporting and training a lot of teachers who maybe don't have a maths background or maybe just have a primary maths background. How do you approach supporting the other teachers in the school to help them feel confident as maths teachers and to incorporate that maths into the curriculum for the students? Yeah. Most teachers don't have any particular maths training. Um, they might have come from a secondary subject. Um, we have quite a lot of teachers who are primary trained, so they do have that math subject knowledge, which is good. Um, so they have, in, in secondary, I work with about seven seven maths teachers um, from a sort of a range of different backgrounds and different levels of confidence with the subject. And we try and work together as much as possible. We 
have a sort of like a team maths planning night every week where I take that as a really good opportunity to share my subject knowledge um, and we get stuff out the cupboards, we think about what might work for that particular lesson. We, we work together as much as possible and, and just, just talk really, have those conversations. Um, I think having, so that the subject knowledge guys from the NCTM and um, other, other resources that are out there act as a really good um, sort of go-to for that sub- initial subject knowledge. And then we really start to pick that apart we spent a long time a few years ago um, designing our own sort of um, topic progressions and assessment system around that. I think um, quite a lot, one of the challenges um, of working in a, a specialist setting often is that there's no off-the-shelf resources or assessment system or anything like that really. Um, um, so, so we spent a long time doing that because it, it now really helps our teachers know what to teach, in what order to teach, what, what might be the next step not always the next step for all learners because some some learners well all of our learners are going to take a a, a different journey to the to the next point and and that's okay so you, in terms of cpd obviously you are able to support the teachers here in terms of their math cpd you've taken part in a, a work group with west yorkshire maths hub could you tell us a little bit about that uh, about that that form of cpd what you got from that what that work group was looking at yeah, about I think two thousand eighteen, my primary colleague and I both joined a work group. It was to do with developing partnerships between maths and um, send. It was brilliant going along and having that opportunity to talk to colleagues in other schools, and the work group was led by um, somebody who was a maths lead in a in a special school, another local special school. And that it was just so beneficial to be able to share those experiences, share that expertise, because we don't all all know everything. It was really good. I think looking back, there was only me and my primary colleague and the leader of the work group who were actually from specialist provisions. So while it was brilliant to just be able to talk about maths in a similar way to how we've we've been to sort of um local network meetings before where the majority of colleagues it was great to talk about maths but they were all from mainstream schools mm-hmm. and we really were craving that connection with other special schools um so i'm now leading a work group which is exclusively for specialist provisions so other local special schools we've got some alternative provisions and um, some resource provisions as part of that group as well and sort of the comments that certainly when we were running it last year the comments that we got time and time again were this is just so good that I can talk to people and learn from people who are in maybe not exactly the same situation mm-hmm. as me but a very similar situation and we we all initially shared that thought of we've never had anything like this before there's never been this subject based so math math specifically based for people in in specialist settings in our local area before it's just not happened and quite often we get a lot of working in special schools we get loads of training on maybe areas of need particular um i don't know conditions we might need to know about and and different strategies that may work but sometimes the subject um is often sometimes rightly so the last thing on the list so it's so nice actually that this is available and and free to join and so th- this is a research and innovation work group. It yeah. ran uh, last year during the pandemic, is it that did, right? Yeah. And it, yeah. did that was that online CPD that that, that took yeah. the form of? So it, it was online 
Um, I think we did four four mornings a week throughout throughout the year. Yeah, it was interesting doing it online because it was the first time I'd run a work group. So in a way, it wasn't really... I didn't know any different. It it was, I think, as productive as it could have been. Um, and what kind of things did you focus on when you had those discussions? Obviously, you were talking about maths, you were talking about the pedagogy. Was it a particular... Was it particular topics or did it vary? We were looking at um, the principles of teaching for mastery and how they could be relevant to some, many, all of our pupils and how they could be adapted if we looked at the definitions maybe with a a slightly um, wider view. If we picked them apart, we spent a lot of time picking them apart, thinking about maybe the definitions of words like fluency, like reasoning and what what did they actually mean for our pupils um, depending on their, their, their starting point, depending on where they're where they were on their learning journeys. It was really interesting because because we'd all come from different settings, we all had this slightly different view on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it so, just so good. So I was lucky enough to be supported by a, a, a mastery specialist from the from the Maths Hub. We were, it was really good to have her expertise behind it. She'd spent a lot of time in mainstream schools um, talking about teaching for mastery. and. It was interesting listening to her view on or her knowledge about these different areas, five idea, five big ideas, and then how we sort of viewed them all and, and how we tried to get a bit of a melting point, pot of all these different viewpoints to come up with something that could either for maybe for different cohorts within specialist settings or even almost like a continuum of definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that work's still ongoing. The the theme has now been renewed for another year in the research and innovation work group. So we're going to continue working together and recruit more schools as well into the programme, hopefully, this this year, um, with the aim of collating some of these thoughts and ideas. There's other work groups around the country who are uh, working on a similar theme, and our aim is to bring these ideas together to provide some materials for the NCETM to share um, like they have done with the other mastery mm-hmm. materials. So special schools are included in the maths programme. I think that's probably the, the biggest takeaway from um, my work with the maths programme so far is that I just really believe that every special school should be as engaged in the programme as any other school in the country and maybe that hasn't happened consistently so far and it would be brilliant if that if that opportunity was there for for more special schools um, across the country as well as in west yorkshire fantastic thank you so much sophie so as as sophie says um there are still places available in this work group in this academic year is that right yep definitely yeah um yeah so schools in is it calderdale west yorkshire yeah um so last year we worked with schools in calderdale kirklees bradford leeds um not all schools so definitely um have a look out for information if you're interested get in touch please do um as many schools as possible to be involved would be brilliant and there are similar work groups going on in other areas across the country so have a look um yeah it's just been confirmed and there's some wonderful people leading those work groups i've met them quite recently and they're all just really really passionate about what they're doing so yeah definitely get involved brilliant <laughs> thank you sophie good luck with the work group we can't wait to hear how it goes thank, thank you very you much very much thank you